welcome to The Money Spot, the show where we answer your money questions. I'm your host, Heather Katsonga Woodward, and in this week's episode, we have a question from Edna. Hi, Heather. My name is Edna. I was wondering if you could please talk about what net worth is, why it matters, and how I can improve my net worth. Great question, Edna. Now, the net worth of a person is the value of what they own, these are their assets, minus the value of what they owe others, these are their liabilities. Now, most people don't sit around calculating their net worth for the simple reason that most people don't tend to think about their money situation, but the calculation is very simple. I recommend you use a spreadsheet when you do your calculation, but you can also use a pen and paper. The only problem with pen and paper is that all the addition and subtraction is a little more tedious. Anyhow, starting with the asset side, list down your house, each property you own other than your house. I would use a separate line for every property. Your personal pensions, every ISA you own, and on the pensions I'd say, just list down the pensions that are personal pensions or defined contribution pensions. These are ones where you don't get a fixed amount when you retire. What you get depends on what the return is on the market. So just list down on your personal pensions and I'll explain why in a little bit. Then every ISA you own and ISA is individual savings account. Then any non-ISA investment account that you own. Every current account should be listed separately and every savings account that you own should be listed separately. For the super wealthy, the asset list would also include jewelry, artwork, and antiques. And if you're lucky enough to have any of these, add them to the list. Personally, I don't include things that fall in value like cars and computers, but you can add them to the list as well, especially if you own very expensive equipment that holds its value even when it's sold secondhand. You know, stuff like music equipment or maybe violins and expensive instruments. I also don't include personal possessions like books and clothing because I see them as being very transient. One day you have them, the next they're ripped, you know. And I would suggest you don't bother with those type of things either. Once you've listed everything you own, find out what its value is and sum it up. This is your total asset value. Then moving on to the liabilities side, list down your home mortgage, each of your buy-to-let mortgages, all personal loans that you have from banks, stores, or wherever, all credit cards and store cards, and any money that you owe to friends and family. Once you've listed everything that you owe, find out what the balance owed is and sum up all your liabilities. This is your total liability value. To get your net worth, subtract your total liability value from your total asset value and voila, you have your net worth. For some people, this value will be positive. For others, it will be negative because the value of their debts exceeds the value of their assets. A negative value doesn't mean you've been bad with money. It could just mean you're young, you have student debt, and you actually haven't had a chance to build wealth, assets, and earnings to pay off your student debt. A negative value also doesn't mean you're suffering. In fact, a zero net worth could be worse than a negative net worth. 
Lots of people in developing countries have no assets and no debts, but they may be living a very difficult life without basics like food. In developed countries, on the other hand, access to cheap credit means people can live an amazing and lavish life, although in reality, this is sustained purely by debt. But you know what? As long as the person earns enough money to pay their interest every month, this can go on for very long periods of time. And the reality is, some people aren't scared of debt. It doesn't stress them out at all. It's, you know, just another thing. What would possibly stress them out is if they lost their job or worse, they reached retirement age in this dire financial situation and found themselves pursued by people that they owed money and they didn't have this cash flowing in in order to pay the interest. And some people actually end up homeless when in a situation where their inflow, their earnings are cut off and they've got, you know, rents and bills to pay and they can't pay them. It's very sad and I wouldn't want it to happen to my worst enemy. Now, some people like me will have maybe lots of ICEs and lots of bank accounts and pension accounts. The way I do my net worth statement in Excel is I will have all similar accounts like cash accounts, ICE accounts, pension accounts listed like at the very bottom. And then I create only one line for say cash and I sum up everything that is in my list of cash things. I have one line for ISA, and then I sum up all the value of the family's ISAs, my children's, my husband's, etc. And I don't have all my pensions in one place. I have them in several places. I'll list them all together. So I just have an asset section that has all assets with only one line taken up. You might want to do something like that as well. Now, how can knowing your net worth be valuable to you? Well, because you can now track it, you can set a goal for it, and you can improve it. You only can improve what you measure. If you have a negative net worth, then you might want to aggressively tackle paying off your debts. And as you get rid of debts, you'd also be getting rid of interest payments and would therefore have more disposable income to save and invest or spend, as you may wish. Personally, I didn't start intentionally tracking my net worth until I was about 35. But I've always avoided debt, me and my husband, We've always saved and invested from our very first years working. So calculating our net worth wasn't a trigger for us to be sensible, but it definitely drove us to do better. Something weird really happens when you know your net worth. You become motivated to make it bigger and better, and it makes it slightly easier to avoid excessive spending. How often should you track your net worth? I'd say once or twice a year is more than enough. Personally, I refresh my asset and liability values for the family on 30 September and 31 March. 31 March is an ideal number for someone living in the UK because it's the end of the tax year. And as I wanted equally spaced values, having chosen 31 March, the second date became 30 September by default. When I track our net worth, I don't regularly change the values of property because it can distort the net worth calculation by inflating, you know, with the supposed increases in the property value. However, if you plan on selling a property, then you might be interested in updating the value more regularly. But other than that, I'll just put in a fixed number for each property and just kind of leave it there for a while, five years, six years, I don't know, when, until the market has actually properly moved and you can prove it by seeing a recently sold property that looks exactly like yours and has a higher value. 
I also don't update the value of defined benefit pension plans. So these are also known as final salary schemes or workplace pensions. Basically, they're the type of pension where your employer will pay you a fixed sum when you retire and you can calculate using the formula that they give you what this amount is likely to be. It might include things like inflation and you can't really predict what those will be now, but you can you know, roughly calculate what they are. The reason I don't include final salary schemes to the asset value, and I just put a note that, you know, it'll be fixed, is because their value, their paper value can bear little relation to your ability to spend. What is better is to get a general idea of what your fixed pension payment is likely to be based on the number of years you plan to stay in the job and to keep this in mind as a cash flow, a cash inflow that you can expect in retirement. Because if you know that number, then your goal for any personal pensions and ISAs in terms of how much income they give you doesn't need to be as large. So make a note of which company owes you or which companies owe you a workplace pension, but I wouldn't really put an asset value by that. Finally, I'd also ignore the state pension. You have no idea what the format of the state pension will be when you get to retirement age, unless you're retiring in the next 10 years or so. I'll just keep the number in mind like I do with the workplace pensions. What does improving your net worth involve? Well, to improve your net worth, you either need to increase the value of assets or reduce the value of liabilities. In the simplest form, that's what you need to do. However, it's a little bit more nuanced than this. Every time you reduce or clear a debt, you improve your net worth. Even if you aren't saving, but you're just focused on clearing personal loans and credit cards, you are improving your net worth. If you're not saving or paying off debts, but you own your own home and have a repayment style mortgage on it, the act of paying your mortgage every month means you're increasing your net worth. So it can be very simple and doesn't actually have to be intentional in order to increase your net worth. But obviously, if you're being intentional about clearing debt and investing and saving, then you're probably going to reach a higher net worth figure. What's your goal? Is it just to increase your net worth? Or do you have a more specific goal, like increasing the value of assets you own in a specific area, but not really another? For example, at some point, you might want more property and less money invested in shares or the other way around. Or is your net worth goal a little bit more like mine? So while some people will focus on increasing the gap between their assets and their liabilities, and they don't really mind getting to retirement with debts as long as their assets far exceed their debts and the cash inflow will help them to continue paying off debts, my personal goal is to have the liability side of my balance sheet equal to zero by the time my husband and I reach our effective retirement age of 50. At that point, I don't plan to carry any liabilities. We would probably still want to work after that date, but we'll own our home and any rental properties outright and we'll maintain our current no-debt lifestyle. I didn't just come up with this idea, but I found it really attractive when in my early 20s, I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki and his whole theory is about reducing liabilities and increasing assets. And in his game called Cashflow, what you basically try to do is reduce your interest payments and anything that can be moved right back down to zero basically increases your ability of 
reaching the sort of high net worth region of the game. It's a very compelling idea. And I think for a lot of people, reaching retirement without any debts is a very good way to reach retirement because you'd just be more secure. If you're wondering how wealthy you are relative to other people in Britain, I have some very interesting data for you that I found on a BBC article dated July 2019. Apparently, wealth of £105,000 per adult would put your family in the top half of the population. So that's per adult. So if you're in a two-parent home with two kids under 18, your household wealth would need to be 210000 to be in the top 50%. By contrast, debt and a lack of property and pension wealth means the bottom 10% of families have less than £3 per adult. That's £3, not £3,003. This says two things about wealth to me. One, carrying debt reduces your chances of building wealth. And two, owning property increases your chances of building wealth. This was also validated by another book I was reading at the time I was doing this analysis called Start Late, Finish Rich by David Back. Links to the David Back book are available in the resources link, in which he shared the average wealth of renters in the US in the early 2000s. It was £4,000, whilst the average wealth of homeowners was 170000 That's an insane difference based on the one fact of either being a renter or a homeowner. For the UK to be in the top 10% of UK families, you need about £670,000 per adult in the house. To be in the top 20% of families, you need about 400000 per adult. And to be in the top 30% of families, you need about £265,000 per adult. So as your children reach 18, the number of adults in the house increases and obviously you need to adjust the calculation. See related resources in the podcast episode information for more detail. These stats obviously ignore age, but we all know that wealth accumulation is a slow and boring process. So wealth levels tend to increase as people get older. It isn't a surprise, therefore, that 60-somethings, this is people born in the 1950s, are the wealthiest age group in the UK with average wealth equivalent to about 332000 per adult. Many 60-somethings are approaching the end of a career and they've had the necessary time to accumulate savings, pensions, and property. If you want to know the data by age, 30-somethings had average wealth equivalent to about 55,000 per adult. 40-somethings had average wealth equivalent to about 140,000 per adult. And 50-somethings had almost double that of the 40s with average wealth equivalent to about 260,000 per adult. That's not surprising because with the way the stock market has returned, wealth tends to double every seven to 10 years. But obviously future returns may be different to past returns. Inheritance is going to be a big source of wealth going forward, according to the BBC article. But again, property ownership matters a lot here. Apparently, The BBC share, which was itself quoting the Resolution Foundation, said millennials, and they're the generation that are now aged 19 to about 38, are set for an inheritance boom in the future. But it's a long way off, and the average millennial is not expected to receive their inheritance until they're about 61. And nearly half of millennials who don't yet own homes have parents with no property wealth, meaning they're unlikely to receive a significant inheritance. By contrast... Those with home-owning parents are three times as likely to own a home by the age of 30. 
Guys, if you're hearing anything from this, it is beg, borrow, steal, scrimp and save and get yourselves on the property ladder to build a security blanket for yourselves. No pressure. Also, don't shoot the messenger. The said BBC article had a, such a large number of cynical comments under it and a few helpful ones, of course, but some people were just like, even though they knew the stats were the stats, they were just, you know, saying not really helpful stuff. How about wealth by race? It was hard to find UK wealth data that's been sorted by race, but I did find home ownership statistics. So overall, 63% of households in England are or were homeowners in 2016 to 2018. That's almost 15 million households. The top three homeowning groups in 2016 to 2018 were Indians, where 74%, that's three quarters, were homeowners. Mixed white Asian families, where 70%, that's over two-thirds, were homeowners. And white British families, where 68%, again, just over two-thirds, were homeowners. The bottom homeowning groups were Arabs, with only 17% owning property, owning their homes, basically. Black Africans, with 20%. And mixed white Black Caribbean families, with 32%. And my own group, which is mixed white Black African was not much better. It was at 34%, so only a third. So whereas we've got our Indians on one end where three quarters of them own their homes, as little as less than one in five for Arabs own homes. It's really interesting and fascinating stuff. But I've talked for a long time, so let's bring it to a close. In summary, if you want to increase your net worth without putting excessive effort into it, I would suggest the following. One, Pay off all debts and never get into debt again. Two, get onto the property ladder. Three, make sure you're subscribed to your job's pension scheme and have a private pension if you're self-employed. Four, increase your pension contributions to 15% of income. If you're not currently contributing to a pension, just start by increasing it by 1% until you get to the 15%. Increase it by 1% every single month until you get to 15%. And finally, five, have your pension invested in a passive, diversified, global mutual fund and you are bound to be semi-safe. I hope you enjoyed listening to this, Edna, and good luck in increasing your net worth. Bye. Thanks for listening. If you want to ask me a question, read my blogs, or support this show in any way, please type themoneyspot.co.uk into your address bar and you'll be redirected to my personal website.